Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to The Checkout. It's a podcast that you have subscribed to. And luckily for us, we have received top podcast honors again this year at Jazz Times Magazine. Thank you so much, Jazz Times. All of our shows produced at WBGO Studios and archived at WBGO.org and checkoutjazz.org. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, too, in our slate. Jazz United with Nate Chenen and Greg Bryant. Sports Jam with Doug Doyle. Singers Unlimited with Michael Bourne. And we have more coming your way, too. On Martin Luther King Day, the clarinetist, vocalist, and composer... I'll say visionary too. Angel Bat Dawid premiered a new suite of music at the Winter Jazz Fest in her capacity as artist in residence. It's called Afro Town Topics, a mythological Afrofuturist review. It's a sprawling, multifaceted work of incantations and musical performance, meditation and dance, a requiem and an exaltation, a little over two hours. And we have a full video of the performance by going to our homepage at checkoutjazz.org. Dawid is our guest today to talk about this work, and it basically draws from two distinct African-American traditions. Connie's Hot Chocolates, the all-black musical review made famous by Fats Waller in the late 1920s, and an ancestral hush harbor where enslaved Africans risked their lives to gather and perform in North America before emancipation. Of course, Dawid in her modern ways are updating these formulas. And she has a lot to say about the work that features her octet, a string quartet, four vocalists, and a dancer. Our conversation with Angel Bad Dawid is next in celebration of Black History Month. Listener discretion is advised. There is adult language and views expressed in this episode. This is The Checkout. I'm Simon Reitler. Thank you, Angel Bat Dawid, for that incredible show. I am so honored and grateful to bring her into this uh, conversation, into this moment, to discuss the work. Angel Bat Dawid, welcome to Winter Jazz Festival. Congratulations for being the artist in residence at this year's virtual Winter Jazz Festival. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's been quite a wonderful experience being artist in residence. And so then I was elated, you know, um, but, you know, the world that we live in, um, it's still, you know, still quite a strange world we're living with this pandemic. Um, and so it's like to uh, not do it live was, uh, you know, we just couldn't. I mean, it's just Omnicron is just crazy right now. It's not safe for anyone to be gathering in crowds. So they had to make that really hard decision to postpone 
but I was epically happy that they were like, no, Angel, we're postponing, but we still want to do this. Um, can you do it from Chicago? And I was like, yes, I can. are some of the best musicians in the city of Chicago um, I always work with them and the other thing that's really important about us as creatives is that we also are all really good friends well I'm really good friends with everyone on here um, they all I love them so it's, it's one thing to play with just musicians who are just going to come and play your music it's another thing to play with musicians who I have like personal deep relationships with and so the music turns out to be a lot deeper and um even though i composed everything and it's all written i always leave room for spirit and <laughs> that's usually that's what you saw it's like you know um us coming in yes we've got the music and everything but i always say i am for um an experience interesting when um Bryce hit me up about the residency because I was already in the process of of uh, working on something new which I'm always trying to do and um one day this song was in my head uh grab your coat and get your hat leave your worries on the doorstep just direct your feet on the sunny side of the street I always love that song it's like it was just in my head I was Singing. And I was like, let me look it up real quick. Let me see who wrote that. And uh, you go to Wikipedia and it said it's got these two white composers. They say, oh, the, these two white composers wrote this. But we also heard that Fats Waller wrote it. But he sold the rights to it. I'm like, well, he wrote it. So why aren't y'all citing him as the composer if he wrote it? You know, and so that, I was like, this is, ugh. you know, you know how I hate stuff like this. And so I was like looking it up. I was like, hold up. So y'all just going to steal this man's work. This is literally his song, you know, and I have his biography uh, written by his son and his son said that he never, ever wanted to hear it on the radio. And the way that they make Fats Waller, they make him seem like, oh, he was just an alcoholic and da da da. I'm like, uh, he had a family. He has mouths to feed. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> he had these crazy alimony payments from his first wife. Like, he had a lot of like things on him and pressures. 
and music was how he made a living. So he couldn't write. He was a prodigy. Writing songs are nothing for him. So of course he was going to Tim Pan Alley and slow, telling his songs, you know, for five hundred dollars. You know, the rights. You know why? Because he's probably desperate and needs to feed his family. Um, and so as I was researching all of that, I was like, okay, let me. Um, I ordered an LP. It is an LP of Sun of of. I said Sun Ra. Which, interesting enough, Sun Ra and Faz Waller, are, their birthdays are literally a day apart. <laughs> and they're very similar um, musicians, prodigies, pianists, you know, um, not just entertainers, but um, had a lot of wisdom. And so when this album came in, it's Faz Waller's Piano Roll. another way that he was making a living as a musician was doing piano rolls and which is like rolls they would put a piano on the piano which is played by itself and so i got the album and when it came in on the back certain things were circled in red i was like you know i like used albums That's, i'm looking at those paragraphs that were circled and one of them um was an address to where jp johnson lived J.P. Johnson was the creator of, like, they cite him as the creator of Stride Piano. And he was also Fats Waller's uh, mentor. Like, everybody loved J.P. Johnson. He created the Charleston. Um, these these group of musicians, him, um, another lyricist, Andy Razaf, he wrote Honeysuckle Rose and Ain't Misbehaving. All these musicians were composers. You know what I mean? Like, they weren't just, they, like, wrote operas and symphonies and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm like, what? I want to I want to study their work. You know, where is their work? I can go and look up Beethoven and, 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 you know, who was what. But let me say Mozart and all them. I can look up their work. And um, it's accessible. And I'm like, well, I want to look up their work. So I looked up the address of where J.P. Johnson lived. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go there. And I looked up on Airbnb. So I was like, I want to see if there's something around his area. And literally, there was an Airbnb in his building. I'm like, <laughs> I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to this Airbnb, and then I looked at J.P. Johnson's Wikipedia, and his collection is at Rutgers University. I was like, "Oh, great! I make this trip. I'm gonna go to Airbnb. I'm gonna go look at these scores, and I'm gonna write something, you know." Um, and so I hit up Rutgers. I emailed them. I was like, "Hey, I'm a black composer. I'm really interested in his work, and um, I'm vaccinated. I will wear a hundred thousand masks. I will social distance. Can I please?" he come through and look at the collection and of course i was denied because of covid they were like well we can't do it da, da, da. and i understand you know but a part of me was just like no let me push a little harder on this because this is the thing that infuriates me here you are these white-led institutions that are supposed to be preserving you know some things and um you're not giving me access to it i'm a black composer It should be a yes anytime that I ask to see something from other Black composers as a Black composer because in my music education, I never learned anything about Black composers, ever. And if it was, it was always in some kind of slant of, oh, they're just entertainers. Blah, blah, blah. I don't want that. I, I need to see my perspective. So I pushed a little harder. 
I hit him like, hey, this is unacceptable. <laughs> I even wrote the president. I was like, you guys are denying me access. Now, I told you I'm vaxxed. I told you y'all do the precautions. Can you make an exception? A few days later, the librarian hits me up. And um, he's actually a black man. And he was like, first of all, I just want to say, I agree with you. And that was like, that validation really made me feel good. He was like, I really agree with you. Everything you're saying is valid. Unfortunately, my hands are tied. So what I'll do is um, there's <laughs> the book on J.P. Johnson. Like, there's really no information about him. The only book on him is a rare out of $200 out of print book. He said, right. I'll, I'll send you some copies of pages from it. I'm like, you know what? This is not, I'm still upset about it. So during all that time period, I'm like, dang, but I felt like this really call to go to New York. That's when Bryce hit me up. It was like all around that time. I was like, oh, oh wow. well, maybe that's why I'm supposed to be doing this work. Louder than the voice of the white woman who cried that Osila was deserting beauty, deserting her real self, deserting her hope in life, the flood of wild syncopation filled the house, then sank in the slow singing blues which it had begun. The girl at the piano heard the white woman saying, is that what I spent thousands of dollars to teach you? No, said Osila. Simply, this is mine. Listen. I started researching more about Fats Waller, Andrew Zaff, and all them, and they used to do these incredible musical reviews in New York. Ain't misbehaving. Um, ain't misbehaving. Yes. All by myself. No one to walk with, but I'm happy on the shelf. Ain't misbehaving. So, ain't misbehaving. Honeysuckle Rose. Why am I so black and blue? They all came from this hit musical review that they did called Connie's Hot Chocolates. And it premiered at the Hudson Theater. Now we're talking about this is the 20s. And another reason why I'm interested in this time period specifically is because they were 20 years into that millennium. All right. And now here we are 20 years into our millennium. And it's the same issues. Racial unrest. You know, they had prohibition. We got all these legalization issues, you know. Um, they they had a pandemic. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, it's uncanny, the, you know, and then also a new art form, a new black art form, jazz, came on the scene out of all of that. And so um, I'm thinking, like, we're 20 years in, same thing, and kind of what they're calling the music that I'm doing, and a lot of my coworkers are calling it, like, Afrofuturism, you know, which, you know, just like the word jazz um, I, I don't really, you know, most musicians back then don't really like that word. I don't, it doesn't really describe what we do. I use, I like to use great black music, like what the AACM uses. Um, but it, I see them doing this now too. Like, well, this is Afrofuturism. I'm like, okay, well, if you're going to call it this term, just like we took the word jazz, which was originally derogatory and made it what it is. Um, if we're going to call, if we're going to call what I do Afrofuturism, then I'm going to be the one to define it. Not, not you. I wanted to do a musical review, um, and since we have this new art form, like then, call it Afrofuturism. The mythological part of it 
is um i get that from sun Ra because if you look at a lot of his albums you'll see on there that he calls himself a myth scientist and mythology i have this little card here i have this little stack of african-american cards and this is um that's really cool this is paul robeson's quote it says sing me your folk songs and i'll tell you about the character customs and history of your people and so when i think of mythology uh, mythology are stories that point to important truths Um, most people around the world uh, put their sciences um, their information they put it in story form you know and for whatever reason uh, this world they think that that's just the way the ancients did it the way the ancients we put especially black ancient people they put the science that we call science and molecules they put it in a story form so you can't disregard mythology you can't write it off as like just you know whatever but we got to be realistic i'm like no there's more science in that than anything so um mythology is very important so i always like to um uh, really include that in my work. And so this is, Afrotown is a mythological place. I also do a lot of work about Hush Harbors, which uh, were, they were services that my enslaved ancestors would go into the woods, risk their lives to go into the woods in the middle of the night. And they would set up these little tabernacles to be able to process all the trauma of of being tortured and enslaved. <laughs> in this country. Now, Hush Harbors is a tradition of my ancestors and many of the people on this stage. This is a tradition of our ancestors. We are allowing you to come through here, right? Okay? They would have these services and out of these services, a new art form was made called the spirituals. So every black music that you hear of today, gospel, jazz, hip hop, blue, whatever, the roots of it comes from the spiritual. The roots come from people who snuck off in the woods, risked their lives, and this new great music was formed. And so as I was researching all of that over the past few years, I've been doing Hush Harbors. Um, My shows are Hush Harbors. My albums are Hush Harbors. This is a Hush Harbor. When my ancestors were doing that, they were they were in a lot of oppression. And I know people act like, no, we're not oppressing anymore. Yes, we are. Mm-mm, we are. Things are not cool. No, it is the same thing. We're just in modern times. Okay. Back in the day, it was like, you know, okay, you'd be on an auction block, you know, and 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 chains and everything. It's still the same now. It's just that we're modern. We don't have any chains. And and it's like, well, why can't you guys get it together type stuff? But it's like, because things are still f***ed up. Like, it's still bad, you know? And the thing is, you can make it in hellish conditions. Like, you can survive in hell. Oh, yeah. And actually, you can be very successful in hell. You know, I'm, I'm successful in hell. I'm doing what I love to do. I'm blessed. You know, I'm doing great things. But this is still hell. For It's hellish being Black in this country. I don't care what nobody says. And so that call to be like, well, if my ancestors knew what to do, if they went into the woods, 
and um, had a space where they could really process the trauma of being Black in this country, then I wanted to start doing Hush Harbors. This was a Hush Harbor. This wasn't just a residency. This was like, um, let's go into the woods. And then I've invited you all to come with me. You know, this is very sacred territory. Um, not everybody gets to come into this. And so I've invited everyone to come through. And when we're in Afrotown, things go the way that I want. Breaking news, breaking news. We got to talk about Afrosoteric. Mm. Afrosoteric, okay. So it's a new, this news program could all turn into that, you know, of like, okay, here's the topics um, that are happening in Afrotown. So I'm the news anchor. Now, in, in this world, you have a thing called exoteric, all right? Now, X E exoteric, that's what the public know. Like right now, everybody who's watching, y'all are getting the public version, all right? But we've been saying a whole bunch of stuff that y'all know about, references that, that only us in this circle know about that don't have words. Mm -hmm. And that's called the esoteric, mm -hmm. all right? Now, black people, we, we, we got esoteric. <laughs> but y'all got esoteric too. Y'all be meeting up in small rooms too, discussing and planning what you're gonna do with the world, how arrogant, <laughs> how arrogant. My blueprint for conversations are based off of, of my research with those musical reviews that Stats Waller and, and Andrew Zaff and all of them did in the 20s. They were huge musical productions that weren't just music, there were skits, dancing, the great Keisha Janae, bless, oh, oh my gosh, thank you, Keisha. Weed for that. You're welcome. Uh, just, just quick curious because you're in this interesting position of actually having spent considerable time uh, in Kenya mm -hmm. um, as your, your parents were Christian missionaries, which is another question I would I want to ask you about. Isn't like Christian missionary like, like the oldest white supremacy sort of ticket in the book so that's yes it is it was it's very like personal yeah. for you in, in a weird way right like that these yeah. kinds of interesting relationship that you have with all of these structural problems that we have in our society began at probably a very early age it really did um so my parents are very passionate about about their faith i i admire them so much for their faith i have a, a faith in 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 the most high. I like to say the most high because people get so caught up in words. If I say God, if I say Yahweh, if I say Yahshua, people think that I'm, you know, they have all these connotations. So I like to say, I just believe in the most high, whatever is the highest, highest form of energy in the universe. That's what I believe in. So, um, you know, growing up in with pastors and religions, you know, it was, it was wonderful actually, you know, I mean, I mean, not everything's perfect, but it was wonderful because I had a safe home. You know, both my parents were home. They worked. Um, my dad had his passion for 
um, the teachings of the Bible. And so we were missionaries in Africa and we were with Southern Baptists and we were the only black missionaries. And here's the crazy thing. The organization that is sending missionaries to Africa were racist towards us. (laughs) So it's like, you know, even though we were there, you know, to me, it was like my dad's job. It wasn't like a, oh, something different. It was like, you know, we we were living in Africa and he would go out and it was like, I was just like, oh, dad's at work. Yeah, it was like that. But um, being in Africa was like one of the best experiences of my life. Um, that was like my last half of my, like from seven to 12, I was there. So when I came back to America, I struggled because one thing that people don't realize is that even though Africa has its issues, every country does, it was also a space where there was no problem being black because everyone's black. Like that's where the largest concentration of black people are. So that means your commercial TVs are black. Everything is black, not because it's, you know, Black History Month, just because it's just because you went Africa. And so um, growing up with that, I was just around black people and my household's black. Um, Coming back to America, uh, it was a hard transition for me because black had a different connotation that I was experiencing. You know, being a little black girl coming back was it was like America has issues. Like if you leave and come back, that's when you see this is a toxic place for black people because all of a sudden it wasn't, oh, I'm just a little black girl climbing trees, eating guavas from trees and mangoes and we outside playing and we got goats and chickens and stuff just running around barefoot. Um, coming back to America and all of a sudden it's like, oh no, you guys are hoodlums. Y'all this, y'all this. It was just like all this stuff that just was not on me. And so I still have issues, uh, like just adjusting back to how America deals with black people um, is largely what I came away with. And that's when music really became a very important part of my life. The Afro family. That was the space where I felt the same way that I felt when I was in Kenya. Like it didn't, I'm just black. I'm just a black woman. There's not all these issues that are dumped on me um, because of the years and years and years of horrible, horrific trauma that this country has put a particular group of people through. So this is Martin Luther King Day. This is MLK Day, right? America murdered him. Murdered. Okay? Murdered him. And I'm and I don't care. Oh, we'll give you a little celebration month day. No, that's not acceptable. No, it's not. Do I know what is acceptable? Do I know what will make it right? I absolutely don't know what will make it right. But I just tell you right now, it's still not right. I don't know how to make it right. And obviously the world doesn't know how to either. So I'm not gonna shut up about it. America, the FBI, Cointel Pro, <laughs> kept tabs on him. America locked him up. And why? Why did they do that? They did that because he wanted better opportunities for me. He said I had a dream, you know. And so my song in the uh, on in the show, I had to do a, a movement in honor of MLK. Um, and I wanted to write a standard because I was like, oh, we need new jazz standards. Um, but as I was writing and thinking about him, I was like, you know what? He had this dream living in this nightmare, you know, but I don't want his dream. 
his dream does not work. This is the reason why Martin Luther King's dream doesn't work because it it's, it's trying to make the dream happen in this horrible, nightmarish state that we call America. Okay, it's not gonna work here. When it's like, oh, we're black and white people can be together. No, not in this structure. This structure has racism in it from every opportunity. I want to go to Afrotown. I want to go to Afrotown, and then we can do that there.
I'm going to create the mythological place called Afrotown. And you guys didn't see this, but during the show, the like the light and camera crew, they're all different races, you know? Everyone was dancing. I wish I could show you how like the lighting crew, I don't know what race he is, but he was just like dancing as he was going to the cameras. And I was like, this is the real dream right here.
obviously who's in charge of this world. You look on TV, who's in charge? Old white men. Look at them. You know, everybody was so upset about Trump. And I'm like, that's y'all's president. Okay. No, we're not like that. No, you are. No, I don't think I'm not. Right. Yes, you are. He is a great representation of America. He's perfect. He was the perfect president for America, you know, because that shows exactly where America and the world is at. All the world governments, they sit here arguing over dumb stuff. Ukraine, they doing all this weird stuff. Why are we listening to them? Let's go to Afrotown. I'm, right? I'm packing my bags right now. Come on, let's go. Let's like, we go. don't have to do this. Let's go to Afrotown. We can do this. It's free. You don't have to have a ticket. You don't have to get on an airplane. You don't have to do any of that. You can just come through. And the music is the vehicle. It's so, all you gotta do is listen to the music, open your hearts, and we can go to Afrotown 500 million times a day. <laughs> so, I wanna offer more experiences like that. Where the spirit is, there is liberty. Liberation is very important to me. It's very important to black people. Thank you for coming on the journey to Afrotown with us. Um, we're not going to send you out there and back into the, your other reality. We're gonna close up shop. And close it up, okay? Just like we open it up, we're gonna seal it back up, okay? And we're gonna do that again with the long tone. We started with a long tone, we're gonna end with one, okay? And I told the ensemble, and I'm telling you, world as well, you have been opened up. Your heart has been opened up, okay? Listen to your heart. Okay? You may cry. Start crying, please. If you haven't cried, that's a problem. With all the horrific things in the world and you ain't shed a tear, shame on you. Start crying right now. Start crying right now. Okay? Now that's, that's unacceptable. If you haven't cried in years, start crying right now. Okay? Thank you, Charles. Mm-hmm. So let's everybody take a deep breath and let out a tone, okay? Everyone, including the lighting crew, including the camera people, join us in the tone, including everyone who's virtually watching this right now. We are going to make a change and a difference in our reality, okay? It's very simple to do. It's free. You don't even gotta get out of bed and do this, all right? Give it a try with us. So everybody, let's take a deep breath and let out a tone, okay? Let's go. There's another side of trauma that unfortunately impacted your life mm -hmm. during these really difficult times. So I can only imagine the work must be everything for you. It's the only yeah. way for you to, to stay sane. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, last year, you know, this pandemic in itself is traumatic. And I really want the world and everyone to just process that. Okay. Millions of people have died in the world. Millions. 
including my sister, because of this pandemic. You know, I started last year with getting COVID. And the same day that I got COVID, my sister died. Because she also got COVID and she has chronic asthma. Her lungs just could not handle that. All right. So when people act like, oh, this pandemic, if you're acting like the pandemic is not doing something to you traumatically, it is. And um, that's why it's important that we process grieving. And I don't think the world has done that enough. Like, it's crazy that, you know, when you hear of like 911 and there's all these 911 memorials and all that, I have not really seen any memorials dedicated to all the people who have died because of COVID-19, who have died because of this, and the families that are affected. No one wants to talk about that. You know, they're like, they, they just, it's just statistics and numbers. And it just shows how cold-hearted we are. You know what I mean? My sister died because of this. I will forever be um, traumatized and grieving um, because of this pandemic. And globally, we need to grieve. Globally. We can't skip that part. All right? People just open back up. Well, we're vaccinated. Just want to open back up. I, no. When are we going to grieve? When are we going to say, hey, we've been sick. Our bodies have been going through it. How about the trauma of, like, you can't touch people. You can't hold people. You can't see people's smiles anymore. Like, this is devastating globally to the world. And if we don't start doing some inner work of healing of inner work, of going through the grieving process. I'm grieving, meaning there's days that I, I cry at least once or twice a day. That's healthy. There's joy and there's suffering. And most people who experience a lot of joy um, or push for joy is because they've experienced much suffering. And I have, you know, I've experienced like whew, some hard things. And the joy comes through the process of, of the art that I do, you know, they help me process. You can't skip steps. That's another issue that I have. Everybody wants things faster and quicker right now. You can't, mm -mm. You, you can put a, 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 a cake in the oven, right? But if you take that stuff out too early because you hungry, you want it right now, it's not going to taste good. If you take it out too late, it's going to be burnt. It's not going to take, you got to take it out at the right time. You got to know like, man, that setting got to be there 300 something degrees and we got to bake it for 20 minutes. You know what I mean? This society does not want to take the time to process. They want to skip over this step of being human. A lot of cultures have grieving rites, ceremonies that they do. We've neglected to do that. And um, in so many ways, my work is about the process of healing. You know, and, and it's crazy because like a lot of the music that I do, like after a show, a lot of people will come up to me in tears and they're like, Angel, or I'll talk to people, their eyes will start welling up. I'm like, this is good. This is good. I'm going to continue to do that because we need the waters to flow. We need to sit down and cry about the pandemic. We do. It's traumatic. And so if we want this to end, we're going to have to not be like, well, the government is taking care of us. Look, they're doing all they can do. Okay. What are we going to do individually? What are you going to do? Empathy, please. 
nobody's saying that they just want to talk about like we want to get back to how things were i don't want to get back to how things were that was not working it's still not working <laughs> we're gonna have to do something new
Thank you, Angel Bat Dawid, for the work, the message, and the love. If you want to see the full two-hour concert, we have it there on our website at checkoutjazz.org, including an extended version of our conversation where she talks about Eric Dolphy and how much of an influence he was on her playing. Again, all of that media is on our website, checkoutjazz.org. And there you can see all of the virtual concerts from the Winter Jazz Fest. Scores and scores of bands, over a hundred musicians. There's definitely something there for everyone. Winterjazzfest.com. Special thanks to Bryce Rosenblum and Todd. Special thanks to you for editing our video. And a special thanks to all of the people involved in Afrotown Topics. You can find all the instrumentalists on our website. You can follow Angel Bat Dawid at Angel the Oracle. You can follow us at Checkout Jazz. The Checkout is a production of WBGO Studios. I'm Simon Rentner. Thanks for checking us out. Mm-hmm.